Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, MPs adopt a motion to recognize that Russia is committing acts of genocide against the Ukrainian people. I was very pleased to see that that passed, that it passed with unanimous support of the House of Commons. Now, I will say that it is a first step. Uh, declaring a genocide uh, was something that we wanted to do as a, as a way to urge the government to take more action, to do more for, for Ukraine. Canada is working with allies on legislation that would allow seized Russian assets to be sold on behalf of Ukrainian victims. And afterwards to use the profits and to compensate the victims of this war against Ukraine. And so that's why we wanted to show leadership here in the country, but also around the world. And we're the first G7 country to bring up this uh, new power. And the Conservatives want the RCMP to reopen an investigation into the Prime Minister's holiday at the Aga Khan's private island. Ultimately, it comes back to the fact that, um, you know, the integrity of the, of the Prime Minister, of his office, and of the RCMP are at stake here, and we have to restore confidence uh, in public trust. It's Thursday, April 28th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. Good morning, John. Morning, Mark. So members of Parliament have adopted a motion to say that Russia is committing acts of genocide in its war in Ukraine. And in the meantime, Canada is also working with other countries on a measure that would allow assets seized from Russia to be sold on behalf of, of victims in Ukraine. Uh, all of this is going on as as it feels like uh, the temperature in this in this crisis is rising, that there are that there are escalations happening on both sides, especially on on Russia's side. The rhetoric from Vladimir Putin is increasing. Um, and I know you've written about this subject today. What are your thoughts on where we stand, what some of the options are going forward, what Canada's role and, and the role of other NATO countries should be in all of this. Well, I think you're right that the, the temperature is rising. I mean, Putin yesterday in, uh, in St. Petersburg told lawmakers that uh, essentially threatened nuclear, not even retaliation, a nuclear first strike, it sounded, it sounded like. You know, he said, we have all the necessary instruments, the ones that nobody else can boast about, and we will not be bragging about them. We'll, we will use them if necessary. And this kind of followed on from his uh, foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, speaking earlier in the, in the week, who had said that the danger of nuclear confrontation is serious and we must not underestimate it. I mean, I think these are uh, deliberate, pointed words from the Russian leadership, you know, in part because I think they, they, um, as the war doesn't, conventional war doesn't go well for them, they need to project power domestically and internationally. But I do think it's in response to uh, the U.S. side, uh, or NATO side, where clearly there's been a, a ramp-up in the supply of lethal aid to Ukraine. I mean, we're now starting to see heavy weapons coming from many countries in NATO, including Canada, which has sent armored, or is sending armored cars and has already sent uh, four howitzers. And I think there will be more to come. So... You know the war. The war itself on the ground has entered a new phase as it as it uh, takes place in the east of Ukraine, across this 400-kilometer front in the Donbas region and, and in the south of Ukraine. Because of that, there is a need for different types of support for the for Ukraine from the west. The U.S. has clearly signaled that uh, not only.
only is it intent on defending Ukraine, but uh, when the U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin was in Kiev, he was talking about this is what we want to see. We want to see Russia being weakened on the ground so it can't do what it has done in Ukraine. I mean, that, that to many NATO allies, I think, was an expansion of the, the war aims in Ukraine, and I'm not sure that everybody was on side with that expansion. And just to conclude, I think that if Putin is trying to shatter the solidarity in NATO, then the way to do it is to talk about nuclear confrontation, because obviously it's closer to home for many of the European countries, and they are extremely nervous. Yeah. I'm told that they're, they, they, these discussions are now happening in NATO circles. There was a, there was a, a conference of, of uh, countries supporting Ukraine in Germany, hosted at the U.S. Uh, Ramstein Air Base by Lloyd Austin uh, earlier this week. These discussions were taking place about nuclear confrontation. And the European response, and even the, I think the Canadian response too, to be frank, is much more skittish and less resolute than the U.S. response. Yeah, and, and this is this seems to be a scenario that everybody has been fearing for a long time and, and that many leaders have been trying to avoid. They they didn't want this to escalate. They didn't want to vote in, to, to provoke Putin. But it, it, is it now increasingly likely that we're headed in that direction, do you think? Well, the, the, the Russians have just tested a new intercontinental continent, ballistic missile. Apparently, it's you know state-of-the-art. I'm not sure that in what way it is more destructive than the thousands of nuclear warheads Russia has already. But it seems to give Putin the sense that he has a nuclear advantage. And that is obviously very dangerous. I mean, I think the people who have watched him most closely the longest fear that if he was put in a, in a corner, he wouldn't hesitate to use a, a, a tactical nuclear weapon. I don't think we're, we're talking um, intercontinental missiles, but, but the idea that Putin could bomb a Ukrainian city and, and force uh, President Zelensky into an immediate surrender is not fanciful, certainly in the eyes of people who, who follow this stuff closely. You know, it seems irrational given the fact that uh, fallout knows no borders. But I don't think that uh, anybody can discount it completely. And yet, you know, as President uh, Kennedy said at the time of the Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, the biggest danger is doing nothing. And I think we should all take heart from what what uh, Kennedy said at that time, that, um, uh, you know, it's cautious resolve that, that nobody should be unnecessarily risking nuclear war. And he said even the fruits of victory in that case would be ashes in our mouth. But the risk sometimes has to be faced. You know, he said our goal is not the victory of might, but the vindication of right. Not peace at the expense of freedom, but both peace and freedom. And I think uh, he thinks that uh, Putin, emboldened by the use of nuclear aggression, would stop at Ukraine, needs to think again. Hmm. All right, let's turn to what's been talked about in the House of Commons over the last couple of days. It's interesting. There are a few things going on. Obviously, uh, there's a new poll out from Nanos Research that shows the Conservatives with... Uh, a lead over the Liberals, uh, something in the range of uh, 5% uh, over the Liberals. Um, and while that's going on, there's the resurrected talk of the Aga Khan scandal going back seven years now. Uh, and 
uh, or six years, I guess. And and uh, the conservatives are saying there should be a reopening of the investigation. I don't think too many people think that's going to happen. But this, I guess, is just a way of bringing that story back into the minds of Canadians. Uh, what do you think about all of that? Right. Well, the, the Nanos poll was interesting, in it, and I guess we'll now watch other polls to see if they're uh, they're in agreement. My initial thought is that that is the result of the Conservative leadership race. I mean, that's been getting quite a lot of airtime, but hasn't been too much going on domestically, uh, politically. So the, the Conservative race has been getting a, a lot of publicity, particularly obviously Pierre Poiliev. And I think that that is probably more the cause of any bump that the Conservatives have got, rather than what's happening in the House of Commons. The, the Aga Khan thing, um, I mean, it happened over the Christmas holidays in 2016, so it's pretty historic. The, the Ethics Commissioner did find Justin Trudeau in violation of ethics rules. The allegation is that the, the Mounties were looking at uh, uh, looking at any government official who accepted a reward, advantage or benefit of any kind from a person who has dealings with the government. That is, unless the official has written consent from the head of their branch of government, which obviously is Justin Trudeau. Now, Trudeau said in the House on Tuesday that he didn't give himself permission to hang out with the Aga Khan. But whether that would justify an, uh, an RCMP uh, an reinvestigation seems unlikely to me. I mean, it seems, it seems that the biggest uh, advantage here is for the Conservatives, who can just juxtapose the words Trudeau and criminal and RCMP, um, which is obviously good for the Conservatives, but I don't think there is any real meat in it for uh, for um, an RCMP uh, reinvestigation. Having said that, the, the horsemen have intruded on uh, domestic politics before, if, if people can remember back to the 2006 election where, uh, where the RCMP intervention was pretty crucial. So I guess it should never be discounted. Yeah. All right, John, great to have your thoughts on all of this today. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Mark. That's John Iveson of the National Post. For many residents in Ottawa, last January and February still remains fresh in the mind, and we certainly do not want a repeat of the illegal occupation which took place in this community. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. At ctvnews.ca, Don Martin considers the most likely scenario as demonstrators head to Ottawa this weekend. Martin writes, This is clearly not a Hells Angels gang invasion, the return of the insurrectionists, or another downtown paralyzing takeover by illegally parked trucks. This is shaping up to be a Seinfeldian-level protest, a rally about nothing more than freedom from mandates that have already been repealed. This has every indication of becoming a modest reunion of nostalgic protest compared to February's event. Let's hope Rolling Thunder Ottawa ends up being grown-up boys on their 1,500cc toys playing Rebels Without a Cause to the rallying cry of Born to be Mild. In the Hamilton Spectator, Don Sawyer argues we can't let our Canadian flag be co-opted by an angry minority. Sawyer writes... When I immigrated to Canada from the U.S., one of my immediate joys was adopting a flag that stood for peace, order, and good governance. But then there was the occupation of Ottawa, with Canadian flags flying from $70,000 pickups and horns and sirens blaring, 
a handful of people raided and occupied our nation's capital. They are not patriots, saving us all from an incipient dictatorship, but morally underdeveloped children with driver's licenses. My maple leaf does not fly next to a Confederate battle flag or an American revolutionary banner that reads, Don't tread on me. My flag belongs to the country that is grounded in decency and strives to be better. In the Toronto Star, Ramu Narayanan argues Canada must remove fossil fuel subsidies. Narayanan writes, Fighting climate change through measures like putting a price on carbon requires focus. Unfortunately, governments around the world, including in Canada, subsidize the carbon-emitting fossil fuel industry while fighting climate change at the same time. Canada has also been found to be the second worst in the G7 when it comes to government reporting of the fossil fuel subsidies it provides. Fighting climate change needs to be seen as an emergency, and we cannot afford to be taking one step forward and another step back at the same time. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will speak with the Prime Minister of Italy. He will also attend and deliver remarks at the Yom HaShoah commemoration service in Ottawa. The Senate Committee on Foreign Affairs and International Trade will hear from Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie on the situation in Ukraine. The Senate Committee on Energy, the Environment and Natural Resources will hear from Environment Minister Stephen Gilbeau on the Strengthening Environmental Protection for a Healthier Canada Act. The Senate Committee on National Finance will hear from Treasury Board President Mona Fortier on the main estimates for the fiscal year ending in March 2023. And Veterans Affairs Minister Lawrence McCauley will highlight new measures that will help support the long-term sustainability of the Prince Edward Island potato sector. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, April 28th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.